0: Are right, you ready for this? Ready.
1: Hey
0: everybody, this is Tom Salander. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Hope you're doing well. We're going to have... Somewhat of a different format this week. We are, first of all, we're revisiting the TAVR issue again. Last time, our TAVR episode focused on Edwards, which leads the market with Medtronic. This time, we'll talk with Medtronic. I spoke with Nina Goodhart. Nina is president of the Structural Heart and Aortic Operating Unit at Medtronic. We included this interview as part of our Medtronic Talks podcast, but I wanted to share it with you here because it matches up nicely with an interview that Chris Newmarker, Executive Editor of Life Sciences at Mass Device, did with Santosh Prabhu. He is a Divisional Vice President of Global Product Development at Abbott Structural Heart. Abbott, in September, reported securing FDA approval for its own TAVR product called Portico. So Chris does a great job talking with Santosh Prabhu about Portico why it's different, and why Abbott is hopeful to make a mark on the space. Then we'll follow up again with Nina Goodhart. Unfortunately, I'm traveling this week. Chris was out of pocket, so we won't have a New Markers Newsmakers this week. We'll just bring you two excellent interviews. I hope that is enough.
2: Hi there. Our guest today is Santosh Prabhu. Santosh is divisional vice president of global product development in Abbott's structural heart business. He's working on his MBA and he has a PhD in mechanical engineering. Santosh has been a driving force behind some of Abbott's most important cardiac implants of recent years. That includes the company's MitraClip transcatheter mitral valve repair device, as well as the catheter delivered Amplatz Piccolo occluder that can go into premature babies weighing as little as two pounds. Today. We're going to talk about Abbott's new portico with FlexNav TAVR system. Abbott announced FDA approval in September. Santosh, welcome to Device Talks Weekly.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks
2: for having me. It's really great to have you on. Uh, so when I was researching for this interview, uh, I you know, I read that you have some uh, you know, very personal motivation behind your uh, work in, uh, in the structural heart space. Are you comfortable talking about it a bit?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I have a very personal connection to uh, to what I do on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, cardiovascular disease uh, runs in my family and I lost my dad to a heart attack when uh, I was just seven years old. And after going through all the schooling, uh, the first job that I got was wor- working on designing stents uh, for treating coronary artery disease. It's a device that could have saved his life wow. had it been wow. available at that time. So I thought, you no, know, I realized that even though I studied aerospace engineering, mechanical engineering, and i working on stents, I thought this was my calling. And I've pretty much dedicated uh, most of my career, almost all of my career, actually, uh, designing devices uh, for treating various cardiovascular diseases.
2: Yeah, wow. Um, you know, it's a, it's a I, I'd have to say, I mean, I've, I, I feel fortunate myself because I mean, it, it runs in my family too, but at least, uh, you know, at least, at least I got to know my dad for the first 40 years of my life because he, he passed away when I was 40, but, um, I'm sorry, man. but it's, uh, you know, it's, I, 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 I kind of, I, I know I, myself, it feels like, you know, writing about medtech innovation, you know, I, I, I think, you know, maybe at least I can, you know, hopefully, you know, help, help you know, boost some innovation and, you know, hopefully, you know, you know less people, you know, we have less relatives lose less people, you know, along the way. But, but you know, I, you know, when I was reading about your background you know, you started out, you know, with an interest in aerospace because, well, I mean, I mean, space, especially when you're young, I mean, it's cool. Outer space is cool. But I mean, it kind of seems like, you know, doing work and, you know, doing, you know, engineering inside the human body can be uh cool to, I mean, tell me, I mean, tell me a little bit more about that.
1: I studied aerospace engineering and I wanted to be a, a rocket scientist. So, uh, but then when I uh, started looking at medical devices, you know, we, we are at the cutting edge in both areas, whether it's aerospace engineering or developing medical, medical device technologies. And there are a lot of similarities. You know, I was studying airflow over aircraft surfaces, right? Here I'm studying blood flow over, uh, you know, cardiovascular stents when I first started. Right. We're uh, looking at hemodynamics of uh, uh, transcatheter aortic valves. We are looking at uh, reducing um, the mitral regurgitation using some of our uh, transcatheter mitral valve you know repair products. We are trying to fix uh, you know leaky mitral valves with our transcatheter uh, our 10-9 transcatheter mitral valve replacement product. We are trying to uh, uh, improve hemodynamics with our transcatheter uh, uh, with Triclip, which is a transcatheter mitral valve, tricuspid valve repair product. So you know there are a lot of parallels between uh, both those uh, both those areas, um, and I feel, um, as I mentioned, for personal uh, reasons, I feel uh, the cardiovascular medical device uh, space, you know, in that space, working in that space a lot more a lot more fulfilling for me, uh, particularly when I realized uh, about the impact that the uh, that the that the products that we develop has on the lives of patients, right, all the way from uh, prematurely born babies uh, to uh, 90, 90, even sometimes 100-year-olds, right? So uh, it's, uh, the impact that, of the work that we do um, at Abbott is, is huge in terms of uh, the standard of care for patients all over the world, people all over the world.
2: So we're we're here today to talk about the Taver system improved you know approved in the U.S. and I so I mean Edwards Life Sciences Metronics I mean they've had Taver offerings around here for, for years I mean what kind of what kind of advantages uh, is Abbott offering with its uh, Taver system and how can you you know improve the Taver space?
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, uh, yeah, Edwards and Metronic have their have their products. Uh, but you know the uh, the space uh, the TAVR space uh, is uh, you know or aortic stenosis that we're trying to address here is one of the most common and life-threatening uh, heart valve diseases. You know, but about one, one in eight uh, people aged over the age, uh, over the age of 75 uh, have some form of moderate to severe stenosis with this structural heart condition. And so our uh, our, our TAVR product uh, in the US that has been approved, Portico with Flex is uh, used to treat people with uh, symptomatic severe uh, uh, aortic stenosis um, uh, who are at high risk for, um, uh, for open or extreme risk for open heart surgery. Uh, the, po- uh, the Portico valve itself has some of the advantages it has is it's more uh, uh, intra-annular, so it, uh, you see earlier hemodynamics, you know, improvements in hemodynamic conditions right off the bat when you start de- when you are deploying the valve. Um, um, and also uh, the major advancement is in terms of the, the delivery system. Um, the FlexNav delivery systems, I think, is a major advancement. It's a major innovation in which how the how the valve is delivered based on the engineering uh, that has gone into design of that uh, of that delivery system. Um, uh, for instance, you know, uh, one of the uh, major challenges that a lot of our clinicians have is the accurate placement of the valve. And, uh that's exactly uh, what the uh, FlexNav allows the doctors to do: uh, very precisely and accurately place the valve, uh,
2: you know, in the, in the desired in the desired location. I've heard it described as a novel catheter delivery system. I mean, how is it novel?
1: Yeah. So uh, you know, it's uh, uh, first of all, uh, uh, you have to navigate the uh, the valve uh, uh, or, uh, or the catheter uh, with the valve in it through a very tortuous aortic anatomy, right? So uh, uh, the FlexNav has some. The catheter design allows for that, uh, for uh, the maneuvering, right? Uh, then the other thing also we have done is we have a, uh, there's a hydrophilic coating that uh, that we have put on our catheter, um, which most of the other catheters don't have, that allows that, which reduces the friction as you navigate through that tortuous anatomy. So that's one thing. Then uh, also we have, a, we have, a, it's a low profile catheter. It has the lowest profile in the industry. It's about 14, 14 French um and the other thing also that we have done is there's something called a stability layer and the stability layer is what allows to a large part the accuracy uh that improves the placement accuracy but usually what the doctor has to do is sort of uh, maneuver the catheter as the valve comes out of the catheter to make sure that you know he places it at the right location now with the stability layer that we've incorporated he necessarily doesn't have to do that so as you start deploying the valve the valve, you know, wherever you decide decide the valve needs to go, you start the deployment process, and the valve deploys in that location. It doesn't have to maneuver or rotate the catheter or move the catheter front and back, Wow. Uh, forward, backwards. Um, so those are some of the advancements that we see uh, that we have made in the now in catheter, uh, in our catheter design.
2: Medtech is notorious for not having much materials innovation. Any, anything more you can tell about this hydrophilic coating? Like anything else you could talk about it?
1: No, the hydrophilic coating is, uh, uh, is it has been used in uh, other applications, not necessarily for a lot of the Taver Taver systems. So that's something that uh, you know that is uh, the, the coating by the the material in the coating by itself is not not necessarily novel. But the fact that it has been used in the Taver on the on the on our uh, FlexSnap system um, uh, in the in the areas where we desire to have low friction, um, uh, I think that is the novel part. There are parts of the catheter that. Uh, you need to have that reduced friction, particularly the ones that are interacting with the you know human anatomy as you're you know as yeah. you're, uh, delivering the valve. And there are parts where you don't need you don't need it to be slippery. And you need the you know the anchoring, right? Um, and that part we don't have it, so it's you know it's very well thought out. And then and, and then in designing the system, one of the challenges is you have to design a catheter taking into account a varied patient anatomy. You know, all the aortas are different, the curvatures are different, the orientation of the valve is different. Uh, so we had to study this this catheter as we are designing it into very clinically relevant uh, bench top models that we develop, uh, taking into account the, you know the, all the anatomical variation, the curvatures, the diameters of the vessels, and things of that nature. So it's not just the catheter portion of it that was innovative, uh, which it is, but there was also a lot of innovation in how we test the uh, how we test these products on the bench.
2: How, how do you test that? Do you, I mean, do you have like glass models or? We have we try to simulate the anatomy. Like we
1: take these actual uh, you know patient scans and uh, develop the uh, develop these models. And then we, we look for those clinically, you know, uh, uh, worst case situations where we can test these uh, test these products. And these are sometimes we use uh, you know patient information uh, uh, to generate these uh, these scans and these models. This is like three D printed models, or these are three D printed These are well, some of them are three D printed They're silicone models also. Uh, that we create, which has the uh, similar kind of flexibility and the, the, uh, and the and texture to a certain extent of those uh, of, uh, of the human anatomy, uh, it allows us for di- direct visualization. Uh, and then we also try to simulate in under fluoro and uh, trying to simulate the actual clinical situation on, on the bench. Uh, and so that's how we have evaluated the uh, the map too, uh, as 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 the as. You know, the they're, they're team iterated on successive, you know, designs.
2: Having a size that's fourteen French, I mean, what kind of challenges did you have to overcome to, like, deploy a taver out of, um, you know, out of a uh, a catheter that's so small like that?
1: Yeah, so that's a, that's a very good question. So first of all, making that catheter small itself, right? So we have to make sure that we pick the right components, the right tolerances, the right blend of materials, right? And some of these, is, uh, you know, there's a standard yeah. catheter materials. But how we tailor it, how we use those materials, the size of the materials, the right braiding configuration—all those, you know—it's a, you know, catheter design. I call is more of an art than a, than a science in many ways, right? So we had to, uh, so we, uh, the team had to work through several different iterations. Not all of them work, right? And as you know, but as we progressed, we got closer and closer to the design goals, and eventually we met those design goals of getting that low, low yeah. profile and that low is what improves the uh, the uh, the deliverability of the catheter also but to get to the low profile there's a lot of engineering. It was really it sounds like the
2: challenge was getting it that small I mean that was like
1: just, right. just right it's a combination of uh, you know uh, uh, it's materials that we use um, and also the you know just the design just the design concepts right Wow and the other thing that it has is also an integrator sheet so sometimes, you know, uh, most of the, uh, some of the other products in the market, the, the the clinician has to use a secondary sheet, you know, through which they put their delivery system. So, and sometimes they want to do sheetless without a sheet. So, in our case, we have an integrated sheath, so the doctor has that option: of either going sheathless or using our integrated sheath, you know, uh, which is which is uh, which is built into the into the FlexSnap system.
2: Tell me a little bit more. what is the sheath? What 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 is
1: that exactly? So the sheath is, you know, when you have access to the uh, to, the, so say you want to have access to the femoral axis. So there is instead of using first, you get that access and you put a sheath through it, and then you advance a guide wire. Through which you advance. After that, you insert the Taver system. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the the sheet is a conduit that provides access to the vasculature, right? And then through that you put you put the uh, put the tower system or any you know delivery system, right? Uh, uh, uh. So uh, in in our case, instead of using a secondary sheet, a different sheet that is actually inbuilt into, our, into wow. our product, which is the reason we are able to drive down the. Because your your catheter has the inbuilt sheath, so you have the flexibility to to, to tailor your, the rest of your delivery system to your. Because you're your re- catheter.
2: relying on a uh, standard sheath, then you would you wouldn't be able to have a catheter. It had to be a larger catheter to accommodate it. So you had to build. Right. You pretty much had to build your own sheath to go along with the with the system as well. Exactly. Exactly. So kind of like so it's kind of like that lower pro. Yeah, so this is all about trying to make the system more more flexible. You know, being able to get it through. Tougher anatomies. I mean, a little bit. Just why is that important? I mean, in terms of
1: uh, why is it necessary to make it? Better?
2: I at least in my head, I'm thinking like, is this is this because you know the idea that this this could be a taver thing that could go on in anyone from a child to a to a very uh, you know senior person. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, but most of the times, you know, when you are using the taver product, right, it is in relative people who are relatively uh, relatively aged, right, and as I. Said. Right. Uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, one in eight uh, uh, aged over seven people over the age of 75. Most of our patients are, so it's not designed for the, you know, not, uh, well, some elements of the catheter, you know, we can always leverage for other applications. Uh, but for the TAVR purpose, you know, it's always about, a lot of it is about the ease of use, right? Uh, you want to get, have the user, the doctor to have a good experience in terms of delivering the product, right? Without having to, you know. Um, uh, brush against the anatomy or dislodge any uh, calcium or any of that right so the smoother the delivery is the better it is and then the more accurately the doctor is able to place the valve the better outcomes he gets the better for the patients right Uh, so those are some of the factors that we have to consider not just for the tab or any cath any product that we design right improving the uh, uh, effectiveness of the product Keeping it as as safe as possible, making it as easy as it as it can be for uh, for our clinicians.
2: It, it really sounds like the advantage then here is is the idea that for you know physicians they can know that they have a Taver system that's very flexible, very ease of use. You know, you're just you're 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 just. Kind of sounds like you're really trying to up the game here on on what can be done with the technology. Correct. And, the, and it has so many advantages because when, you know, when you're an older person, I mean, getting your chest cracked yeah, open doesn't, it's not, not something you want to go through.
1: And, you know, as I said, most of the, the, the patients that the indications that we have are for high and uh, high and extreme risk uh patients, right? So yeah, these, most of these patients can't handle the surgery and that's why they're coming to uh uh, coming to the doctor for a tablet product anyways. So.
2: Exactly. And then I, I suspect, like like with other products from other companies, as time goes along and you get more data and more proof behind this, this could be expanded then to, to even more and more populations, right? Correct.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, we run trials to get the, uh, the expanded indication going into the intermediate and low-risk patients and so on and so forth. Um, and then also the other thing you mentioned about as you get more data, as the product is used you learn more about the performance of the product and then you use that some of that information uh, to see what are the modifications that we can make for the future generation products right and that's how you know the the uh the flexsnap evolved too we got a lot of data from the original portico uh, delivery system uh and now we've, uh, we've designed the, the flexsnap Uh, to, uh, you know, to meet the needs of the market looking into the future, you know, looking into the future.
2: So, so you had the original, you had an original delivery system for Portico and then you decide, you know what, there needs to be innovation with, with the delivery system. I mean, how did you get to that point? I mean, you know, like what was some of the thinking behind that?
1: Yeah. So, and and at Abbott, we are always constantly looking to innovate onto our next generation products, right? There are multiple, multiple. One is we, as we start studying our products, uh internally, we know what are the enhancements that we can make on the next generation products, right? So we want to get the product out to the market as soon as possible, with the most safe and effective product. But then we also want to continue improving on it. Uh, so we have some of our inter- internal uh, uh, evaluations that we do. And then also as the product is either commercialized or is used in clinical trials, you know, they're, nonetheless, they are safe and effective. But we want to improve the effectiveness further, right? So we already, based on the use of the product, we work with clinicians very closely. They are very valuable partners for us. Um, And we uh, solicit their feedback. And that also goes as, as input into the design of our next generation product.
2: Wow. So you like you went through all these processes and it sounds like you just got to the point like, yeah, we need to build a better catheter delivery that this was an area where you could improve and and, you know, kind of like, I guess, up the game on this.
1: Correct. Correct. Yeah. And then a lot of, you know, there are a lot of technology elements also evolve right? So things that couldn't be done 10, 15 years ago, uh, now those uh, that technology has evolved. So we can put, you know, so incorporate some of those uh, technologies in a catheter concept too, Right, making parts smaller, tighter tolerances. And these are some of the things that, um, you know, help us as we advance our technologies too. So it's not just the, the catheter technology, also some of the enabling technologies that go with it.
2: Yeah. I mean, what what were some of the enabling technologies I mean, what's happened? I mean, if you were trying to do this 10 years ago, would you have been able to make a a delivery system with a 14 French size like that? Yeah, it it would be a,
1: it would be a challenge, right? Uh, So a few things. One is, you know, as the the design itself evolves, so you have to pack the design smaller into a smaller catheter, right? So there's the implant design that has to evolve. Then there are catheter components also, right? We use some of the same materials, uh, but there are also things in terms of component that go inside the catheter. So can we have tighter tolerances, make them very precise and specific, minimize the interaction, minimize the friction between the internal components of the catheter. So all those technologies have also evolved in terms of how we manufacture, how we build these catheters. And so all that also helped as we, you know, as we has helped as we designed the flex snap system and will continue to evolve as we go further down into looking at a future valve and, and uh, delivery system technologies.
2: Yeah. I mean, now that you have FlexNav, I mean, how, I mean, any, anything you can disclose about, you know, what else could it be used for? I mean, is there, is there potential to use this for other type of implants?
1: Yeah. So a lot of these things, right, they are, are platform technologies, uh, you know, so, uh, so and they potentially could be used and will be used for uh, designing other delivery systems, um, uh, certain components of the technology, right? Um, and, I, you know, without getting into too much details, I think sure. we, have, we have a lot of capability just in terms of building, uh, designing, building, and testing delivery systems. And I think whether it's TAVR or whether it looks as any of our transcatheter, mitral, and tricuspid replacement products, so all this technology can be leveraged and will be leveraged there, right? TAVR is, you know, yeah, it's one of, uh, it's, uh, it's a widely commercialized occupations being treated with uh, TAVR, but there's also transcatheter, mitral valve replacement. Uh, that we're looking at, uh, where, again, we have the same challenges, tortuous anatomy, you have, you know, femoral axis, you have to go through the septum, deliver a valve into – you which know, it's a little – you know, it's a different design uh, and right. then, uh, into the mitral uh, anus, right? So that is even more complicated, but some of these technologies are being leveraged there too. And then there's a tricuspid valve replacement, which yeah. is in early stages, and some of these technologies will be leveraged there too. So.
2: That's exciting so what you learned with you know designing FlexNAP for the tower this could you know I mean you have the mitral clip for repair but I mean mitral valve replacement is you know transcatheter yeah. it's uh, that's that's kind of like the next really big thing is, is, is in tricuspid as well so it, it sounds like you you know you learned some some neat things this is more of a 101 type question for but just for people who aren't as knowledgeable about you know catheter delivery for implantables I mean what are the the common materials that go into these things
1: yeah, so there is a uh, you know a lot of nylon, nylon tea bags, polyamide, polyester, polyethers, uh, polyethers. Uh, there is braiding, nitinol, stainless steel braids. Um, so these are some of the common materials, uh, common materials that are that are used. And uh, and then also there is you know we talk about the catheter shaft, right? But there's also a lot of uh, work that goes on into the handle because the doctor, that's what he's maneuvering, right? All the controls that he has on the handle. Right, And so there are a lot of technology, molded components that are used in there, uh, a lot of uh, precisely designed and fixtured, um, uh, 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 fixtured uh, components that go in there that s- help the actuation of the, of the catheter, help the actuation of the, of the system or the, or the uh, 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 actuation of the or deployment of the valve at, at the distal end. So the valve is all the way into, you know, in the, uh, close to the uh, location in the outer where it's supposed to be deployed. But you're actuating, actuating it from a you know from that proximal end from outside the body that the, the, the doctor has access to right the handle so there is a lot of work that goes on to improve the ease of use of that the whole deployment mechanism and also the ergonomics so you know he has a good user experience in terms of uh, interacting with the you know in, in, interacting with the delivery system
2: yeah I've heard the doctors like to be able to feel it. Kind of in a way, like not just see it on the imaging screen, but kind of feel in their hands what's going on.
1: Correct. They need, uh, they, they they like the tactile feel, you know. Uh, they, they feel that they're driving the system, you know. Uh, so yeah, and that all that needs to be considered
2: as we design the delivery system. That's interesting. It sounds like there's a lot of so you got your engineering and then you got your human use, you know, at the same time, like trying to figure out the human use factors behind all of those.
1: Yeah there is that is that, that is a lot of there is a lot of effort that goes into the human factors uh, assessments and evaluations too because that's very that's very critical right so as so at all stages of the development this is what i meant when i said uh, we partner with the clinicians i think their their feedback that is very important is very critical um, in all stages of the development as the product as the product evolves to figure out how are they interacting with the system you know what are some of the things that they would like to see in terms of improvements as we go from one generation uh, as we go from one generation to another now what are the sources of errors that can happen and we have to eliminate those all that you know, all that, all those are important considerations as we build
2: our, our delivery systems. You know, that whole process with those physicians, with, you know, Portico, with FlexNav, was, was there anything along the way that was especially like surprising? I mean, when we really learned something that you're, you're like, gosh, I didn't, I didn't know that. I, you know, I, I learned something new.
1: Yeah. In terms of, it's, a, it's more of a continuous feedback uh, mechanism, right? Uh, uh, so they have a, uh, you know, uh, just have, we, uh, there, well, it's not just in the design of the delivery system. You also get a lot of the input in the design of the models that are used to evaluate, uh, evaluate the uh, delivery system. I think that's where one of the other areas that they helped us a lot is uh, figuring out, you know, yeah, you're building this delivery system and you, you know, you show it and you deploy it on a bench on a, on a, on a, on a table in, in air, it performs very differently than, you know, if it's a, if it's in a clinically relevant anatomy. Right. Uh, so, I think uh, having getting their help in designing some of those uh, those models was very helpful in addition to of uh, course the delivery system. Oh,
2: that's that's great. Bef- you know before I think there's a lot of really good information here. I really appreciate mm-hmm. this um, I mean you know before we go is there anything we didn't talk about you know with Porter with FlexNav that would be really really good to mention?
1: Well uh, you know I I just think uh, uh, the technology that we have developed and and uh, 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 with with FlexNav uh is this uh, it's a sort of a leapfrogging in technology in terms of uh, where how much we have advanced the uh, advanced the uh, advanced the product, advanced the delivery system, and you we know, we are working on future generation uh, valve valve designs too uh, for uh, for uh, for you know that advances the Portico platform, uh, and we are going through the regular uh, process of getting regulatory uh, regulatory approvals for those products. evaluating them in clinical trials and then get approvals. And we are very committed to that, Chris, you know, I just, were, I just want everyone to know. And, I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to advance the space. We'll continue to uh, build uh, and design and build products that will, you know, uh, improve the uh, quality of lives of, uh, of, our, of, our, of our patients. Um, and we'll invest in product development, we'll invest in, uh, invest in generating the clinical evidence for it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it sounds, the big thing I'm really hearing from you is that this isn't just Abbott saying, oh, look, we have a TAB or two. You're, you're coming on saying, look, we think we've advanced this a lot. There's a big advantage. And, we're, and it sounds like you're going to keep on advancing. This is just the beginning of it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and we we are, we are very committed to this space. Uh, you know, I can tell you that much. Yeah, there, there'll be there'll, there'll be more to come.
2: Sounds good. I can't. It'll be a, it'll be really exciting to report that on on mass device. And before we go, I mean, there's anything else you can tell us about? You know, what's I mean, you're you're telling us we'll see more uh, generations of the Portico in the future. But you know, anything else about what's next in the in the structural heart? You know, space. I mean, what would you be excited? What would you be excited to see happen in the next five or ten years?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, there is a few things, right? I mean, uh, Abbott has, uh, again, Abbott has the broadest portfolio in the structural heart space. Right? We have TAVR, uh, transcatheter aortic valve replacement, we have transcatheter mitral valve replacement, transcatheter mitral valve repair. We have structural interventions, which has, again, stroke prevention, all the pediatric and congenital applications that you're aware of. We have all our surgical valve uh, product portfolio. We are are actually looking at uh, into into the tricuspid space. We have Triclip, which is our uh, transcatheter mitral valve uh, tricuspid valve repair product. We're looking at transcatheter tricuspid valve repair product. We'll advance our surgical valve platforms. So we have a very very broad product portfolio, which will continue to uh, innovate. Uh, But then we all, you know, the other thing also is, uh, you know, there are certain advances that will happen in this space, right? Both in terms of materials, the way the materials are processed. So that will also help. As I said, I was talking to you earlier about enabling technology. So that will also advance the space. Um, then there are things like robotic technologies also, right, which, uh, which uh, will play a role in how these uh, therapies are administered. And then also in terms of how, uh, you know, when we look at proctoring and training, some of these remote te- uh, technologies would also help. Uh, because that's one of the things uh, the pandemic has taught us is uh, using some of our uh, uh, our virtual, uh, you know, whether it's virtual reality or virtual administration of some of these uh, some of these uh, therapies, right? So that all those technologies will also continue to evolve. And That's where I see this going in the next uh, 10, 15 years.
2: When you're saying robotics, are you talking about
1: telerobotics. I mean, because that. Yeah, well, no, not not the, well. I'm, the, the robotic portion is more in terms of you know in the in the hospitals how the yeah. there are already technologies that are uh, the robotic technologies that are being used for some of the surgical procedures, right? Yeah. I'm talking about in terms of remote proctoring, so uh, you know training the physicians or proctoring some of these cases remotely. Uh, yeah. you know some of those technologies are also continue to advance
2: yeah i mean we've you've seen that a lot during the pandemic that we've got a lot more of like virtual training and you know which i which i'm i'm sure the, the doctors too are happy not to have to go out of the hospital for uh for a training meeting as as much anymore as uh, yeah, yeah. as well but i i think that's exciting i mean we could hopefully um it sounds like that could make make the technology even more accessible you know around the world so you don't have to be you know, near near a big metropolitan area and a developed country to you know to yeah, get a lot yeah. of us. and it also
1: allows you to use your time very efficiently. Also,
2: right? So exactly, you know that that's really great. Well, Santosh, it's it's been a real pleasure. I you know thanks for thanks for coming on Device Talks Weekly. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Great job by my colleague and co-host, Chris Newmarker. We have a complete overview of Abbott's entry into the TAVR market where Edwards and Medtronic currently dominate. So as I mentioned, we talked with Edwards' Larry Wood a few episodes ago. Now we'll bring in a conversation I had with Nina Goodhart. She is the head of the Structural Heart Operating Unit at Medtronic. She also has the best name in Medtech, the most appropriate name in Medtech. We talked about that in the complete interview. You can listen to that on the Medtronic Talks podcast. You can find that on devicetalks.com or on any of the applications uh, that you listen to this podcast on. You can also find it on medtronic.com. It's everywhere. So look for the conversation I had with Nina Goodhart. But uh, here we'll begin to discuss Taver. I mentioned, I opened the conversation or this part of the conversation by pointing out to Nina that I know Taver is a huge and growing industry and one of the fastest growing segments of Medtronic's business. So let's listen to what Nina has to say.
3: Yeah, so you're right. The- TAVR, or, or transcatheter aortic valve disease, the program there, is the fastest growing and biggest opportunity, I think, in all of MedTech. This is a program that treats uh, severe aortic stenosis. So essentially, if you think about the aortic valve in your heart, if it gets uh, narrow and blood can't flow through, you start to have aortic disease and you may need to have your valve replaced. And so, since 2000, 2007, when the Core Valve was first approved in Europe, and then 2009, when Medtronic acquired Core Valve, we've been iterating on those platforms in order to really provide what we think is the best technology uh, in the TAVR space.
0: Well, let's focus on uh, on the TAVR space. I wanna I wanna drill down into, into your. You have a very broad portfolio in the space. You've got several programs. Uh, can you kind of walk us through bit by bit? I know you had recent news on the on the Evolute, uh, that we can talk about. But uh, what are what are your various uh, products in that space?
3: So in the aortic space, really, we have been focusing on what we call the Evolut platform. That's the newest platform that we have. The newest product that will be coming out, we're expecting to uh, bring that to market very quickly, um, is the FX valve, and that is as is a valve that is focused on ease of use, making it easier for physicians to uh, uh, be able to use that valve, deploy that valve, and provide what we call enhanced visualization so that you can really see what you're doing uh, for orientation and depth of the valve.
0: And you've got several clinical trial programs going on in this space, is that correct?
3: We do. We have a number of clinical trials. In the aortic space, we've got uh, the first trial that we're very excited about is a trial called Optimize Pro. And there we're really looking at how we think about pacemaker pathways. There are very often a patient with aortic disease who receives a TAVR valve may require a pacemaker. What we're looking at is, can we provide a technique that physicians can use that's called cusp overlap? Can we use that technique to bring down the number of pacemakers, to bring down the rate of pacemakers? And so that is a trial that's currently enrolling. We also have, we're very excited about a new trial that we've just started called the SMART trial. Mm And this is really the first head-to-head trial in the TAVR space. And here we're really looking at the, um, the clinical question of which valve is best for which patient and when we think about patients a number of patients have what we call a small annulus and so we want to make sure that you have the right valve for these patients and so we've got this head-to-head trial with uh with Edwards Life Sciences their valve is called Sapien and so we've got a head-to-head trial with the Sapien valve to take a look at whether or not Evolut performs better in these small annulus patients we believe that it does We also believe that women primarily have a small annulus. And so we think about 80% of the patients in this trial will be women, which means we'll get really strong data on what's an underrepresented population uh, in clinical trials.
0: What went into the, the the decision, or talk a bit about the decision to do the head-to-head trial with Sapien? That's that's not common, not seen often in, in medical devices, um, at least as far as I know. Is why was that necessary, and and what is that? Uh, how do you sort of put a program like that together?
3: No, you're exactly right. It's not very common. Like I said, this is the first head-to-head right. trial <laughs> in that. the tablet space, right? <laughs> and so, no, you're absolutely right, though. But what we started to see was that there was clinical equipoise around this. Physicians were really starting to think about which valve they should use, and because there's no head-to-head data, it was really hard for them to make that decision. So we had a number of physicians coming to us, asking us whether or not we would think about a head-to-head trial, especially in this very critical patient population. And so we do as we normally do. We put a group of physicians together. We debated how we should think about this. We thought about the fact that this is not done very, very often, but we thought that the question was so important that it would be a really good idea to do something different in this space and really prove, I believe we will prove beyond a shadow of doubt, that the Evolute platform is really the best technology for these patients with a small annulus, especially for women
0: interesting interesting so talk a bit about the the space in general i mean we saw abbott move in uh, obviously a few uh, few companies have moved out but th- this is an area that's getting more attention more competition i'm sure this a study like this uh, may not be the first time we see this but but how how competitive is this space getting and and what are the new players uh mean mean to you one uh, of the uh, established competitors in this space
3: Again, you're exactly right. This has essentially been a duopoly. There have been two players in the space, um, Edwards and Medtronic. Um, we are now seeing Abbott come into the space. I think for patients, it's always good to have more technologies that physicians can evaluate, make good decisions about which valve is best for their patients. Um, the Abbott technology, I th- we should think about it as first generation technology. It's, uh, it's designed differently, and um, if you think about the Medtronic valve, it's what we call supraannular, annular uh, which essentially means it sits a little bit above the annulus. The apid valve is what we call intraannular, which means it sits a little bit deeper in the annulus. So if you think about blood flow, Tom, if you put something inside that annulus, it makes it narrower. Uh, The Evolute uh, valve sits a little bit above, so it allows the the orifice space to be a little bit wider. So it allows for better blood flow. The more blood flow you can get through the valve, the better for patients, the better their their exercise tolerance, etc. And so we think we've got a a really good advantage here with that supraannular design. We also have to remember that the new AVID valve is indicated only for extreme and high-risk patients. The Evolute technology is now also indicated for that patient those patient populations, but also for intermediate and low-risk, so a much broader patient population. Uh, and so we think uh, the Evolute valve is still a, a much better choice for physicians to make, but it will be great to see the continued evolution of uh, new devices coming into the space. It's always good for patients.
0: Always have trouble sort of tracking or keeping track of valve to valve. So we're we're talking about. We've talked a lot about the aortic valve. What are some of the other opportunities? And I think you've hit upon them already. But in the in the other valves, is, is, a, is the aortic valve the largest opportunity, or are there are there equally large opportunities in tricuspid, pulmonary, and mitral?
3: So, Tom, in the mitral valve, which is really the next big opportunity in, in medtech, um, our, our focus here is on mitral and tricuspid. We know that over 2 million patients, or 20 million patients, I should say, suffer from mitral and tricuspid valve disease in the U.S. and Europe, which is you know an enormous, enormous population. And so we're in the process of developing technologies both for mitral and tricuspid. In the mitral space, we have a product called Intrepid, Um, This is a valve replacement for Mitral. Um, We are looking, we are in the process of developing a transcatheter approach for that that valve. Uh, And we're in early feasibility trials now to test that. We currently have a trial called Apollo. That's a pivotal trial, a global trial that's currently running, about 300, 350 patients already treated. That's a transapical approach. Uh, and so that's really looking to test the efficacy and the safety of the valve, but our, our approach for, for bringing this to market will absolutely be uh, through transcatheter. In the tricuspid space, again, we also have an early feasibility trial, also looking at that same intrepid valve in that tricuspid space. Uh, right now, there, are no, there really are no options for patients with tricuspid disease. So it'll be exciting to see whether or not we can bring a, t- a technology forward that can really help these patients.
0: And how many of these valves could be delivered in a, in a transcatheter fashion?
3: The goal is to have all of them delivered through transcatheter. The, the entire market is moving to transcatheter. And so we, uh, our goal is to make sure that all of our valve programs, all of our, our valve technologies are able to be delivered Uh, through a transcatheter. So in our pulmonic program, those valves are delivered uh, through transcatheter. TAVR, of course, transcatheter. And now we're doing trials uh, in mitral and tricuspid to bring transcatheter technologies to the market. In the mitral space, we're also looking at repair technologies. So if you think about mitral, you have the opportunity to potentially repair a valve or, if needed, to replace a valve. because the space is so complicated, we've really been focused on what we've called this toolbox approach to bring multiple modalities into the market. And so on the repair side, we have a, uh, a research development partnership with a company called The Foundry. They're very well established in mm-hmm. this space, uh, and they are working with us to develop a, um, a new repair technology. The goal for that technology, of course, again, also going to be transcatheter, but we're also looking to see whether or not it can be as safe as the current product on the market, to be um, even more effective than the current product on the market, and to give physicians what we call uh, room for intervention. So right now, Abbott has a product that once you repair uh, the mitral valve, the only other thing you can do is to send that patient to surgery. There's no opportunity for reintervention. So with the the technology that we're in the process of of creating, you will have that um, that opportunity. So uh, that is again in early feasibility trials, and um, we're we're very excited about seeing what that will do.
0: I'd love to follow up on the uh, on the work with the foundry. Is this is the Half Moon project that that you developed? And uh, how did this relationship come together? I mean, traditionally, a larger company will. Obviously, uh, track a, a, an early stage technology a startup. You may invest. Uh, you may even have a membership uh, representative on the board. This sounds a, a lot more uh, connected than than any of those. How did uh, how did you come to decide on this approach? And, and please describe the the relationship a bit.
3: Sure. So um, because Structural Heart is such a large program, we have essentially had three approaches to our research and development. We have the work that we do organically, what we use our own engineers to help us create and develop. We look at small companies that we use as incubators to help us uh, create new technologies where appropriate. And then we've looked at, at research and development partnerships like we have with the foundry. We've known the foundry uh, well, so they have worked with us um, on renal denervation, another uh, technology, of course, that we have here at Medtronic. And so as we were thinking about how to create this new repair technology, we thought that they would be really great partners. They've got deep, deep experience developing technologies in the mitral space, and given our very close relationship with them, on other working technologies, we thought that this would be a great partnership, and I have to say, it's it's proven to be just that.
0: And, and what do you think the outcome looks like? Uh, do you are, are they building the product for you, or do you acquire the product if it if it goes to if it if it becomes what you hope it'll become?
3: We have an investment. We've made okay. the investment with them. We're working very closely with them, and then we will have the rights to that product.
0: Very cool. Excellent. Do you see yourselves entering into similar agreements with other entities or perhaps another agreement with, with, with the Foundry? Is this a, a new model?
3: It is a new model, um, and we're liking it very much. So it's we, uh, we're looking very closely at whether or not there are other opportunities to do something very similar.
0: It's an exciting program and uh, yeah, the, the Foundry folks are the best. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing what becomes of that. Uh, before we let you go, I, I want to talk about a, a few uh, issues, I guess, aren't directly re- directly related to your oversight of the uh, structural heart business, but more uh, in your, your efforts to uh, encourage uh, women to take leadership positions uh, in MedTech and I assume elsewhere as well. What, uh, what's, what else are you doing or what are you doing in, in that space? What, what efforts are you involved in?
3: So as you probably know, Tom, Medtronic's had this very significant focus on diversity, engagement, and inclusion. Um, I have the privilege of of co-chairing the Medtronic Women's Network. Um, The Medtronic Women's Network, or MWN, has about 20,000 members, so um, extraordinarily large, really focused on gender equality and empowerment of women. We are focused on areas like retention and recruitment of women across all of our functions at all of our levels, focused on development and promotion of women, uh, really focused on ensuring that women's voices are heard in specific policies for Medtronic, things like return to office and future of work and ensuring pay equity. And so given the size of this network, we've got this really strong and powerful voice that we use to help Medtronic really think about the perspectives of women as they're making decisions about the organization.
0: That's terrific. Now, looking through the, uh, just scanning uh, the website for the Medtronic Talks podcast and the pictures we have, and it's uh, it's a, a really strong representation for the women leaders at, at Medtronic. Uh, the reorganization, really, I think, that did you get a sense that as it was done, it really elevated women into uh, into these these uh, these head of business operating unit business positions. Do, do, do you feel like the, the reorganization really uh, boosted that effort?
3: I think the new operating model absolutely helped um, women move into new roles um, all across Medtronic. We have a number of women presidents at Medtronic, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. Of course, we want to work to raise women um, up all throughout the organization so that we can see women in all of our functions at, at, and at all levels continue to move forward. And so I think the operating model will absolutely help that. But mostly, I think that Jeff Martha's focus on that, our executive committee's focus on that, is going to really make the biggest difference.
0: And you Nina, know, the final issue I wanted to ask you about is just uh, healthcare disparity. It, w- it would seem that that structural the structural heart business uh, is, a, is a business in which this is I mean, this is critical. If people are unable to get the healthcare they need, uh, what is Medtronic doing in in, in that area to uh, to help ensure that that folks have access to uh, to the the this great technology, other other technologies, and folks who need uh, help for their uh, for their medical issues.
3: You know, in Structural Heart, we've been looking very closely at, at racial disparities and healthcare disparities in aortic stenosis in particular, wanting to ensure that patients had access to these incredible technologies. We know from all of our data that these underserved communities have had less access. So we're in the process of developing pilots. We currently have four what I'll call grassroots pilots across the U.S., really looking at how can we better identify patients, how can we improve referral channels, and how can we make sure that our underserved communities, especially our communities of color, get to a referral physician, get to a valve clinic, and, and ensure that they get the technologies that, that they need and deserve. And so we'll start with these four pilots. Our intent is to expand them as we go and really work to make sure that everybody who needs a, a TAVR procedure, a mitral procedure, a tricuspid procedure, or a pulmonic procedure, for that matter, uh, gets one. And so excited about this work, and I'm looking forward to expanding it.
0: Fantastic. are well, working on a lot of uh, important projects over there, a lot of great technology. Uh, I really do appreciate your taking some time to uh, to share your story and their stories uh, on the podcast.
3: Well, Tom, thank you again so much.
0: Well, that is a wrap. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the device talks weekly. I hope you enjoyed these great TAVR conversations. If you would please share them with your friends and colleagues on social media, you can connect with me there. I am on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi. I'm on Twitter, at MedTechTom. You can find Chris Newmarker on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. On Twitter, he is at Newmarker, as in a new marker. Please do subscribe to this podcast on every major podcast application. Also, we'd love it if you leave a comment or a rating. To help other folks find this podcast. That's it. Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast waiting for you.